now that I'm grown up, I can protect my inner children better. I can be a parent to them. That allows me to show a more authentic piece of me and still keep me protected. Content warnings for this episode include dysphoria, mental health, domestic violence, and substance abuse. Jennifer would like to acknowledge the Indigenous peoples and unceded lands that the producers, hosts, and guests have lived and dwelt upon. Today we honor the Coast Salish, the Mohawk, Algonquin, and Anishinaabawaki peoples, and the Nisqually and Coast Salish peoples. We honor the elders, the human, plants, and animal ancestors of these lands, and celebrate the living descendants of these peoples. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. Yaddy folks, welcome to Genderful, a talk show interviewing gender diverse people about their special interests. Hi, I'm Gender Master, and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Miranda Katita, and my pronouns are she, her. The focus of our show is to interview trans, non-binary, agender, two-spirit, and gender-diverse people regarding their special interests, passion projects, and resources for the gender-diverse community. We want our audience to know that we hold multiple diverse identities and bring these lenses to the show with our passion for telling our stories. I identify as non-binary, transmasculine, polyamorous, ADHD, autistic, and disabled, chronic pain, and mobility issues. I also am white and reside in the United States. I identify as trans-feminine, neurodivergent, queer, and a person of color residing in Canada. We invite you to remember that we are whole people with robust lives, friendships, challenges, and successes. We love and are loved, and we are delighted to share these stories with you. As always, we kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of their identities. Your identities can change over time and are valid every step of the way. And if you think you're gender diverse, you are gender diverse. There's no social or medical prerequisite to be included in the community. Welcome, everyone, to Genderful Episode 100. Holy heck. Episode mm-hmm. 100. We made it. Um, we made it. This week, mm-hmm. our guest is Trans Capybara, she, her, and she's chatting with us today about trans authenticity. Trans Capybara, or just Cappy is my wonderful wife for a long time. We've said when the show gets to episode 100, we'd have her on as a guest all by herself, and we finally made it. Can you believe it? Wow. We did it. 100. Yes, we did. I think we planned this like 50 episodes ago, that you'd be our 100th guest. Yeah. And uh, I I mean, I had the distinct honor of being guest number 99, uh, which I don't think we planned that. Uh, I just worked out that way because, I mean, I scheduled myself in before you asked me to be a host. So uh, I definitely have the distinct honor of being the lead into this episode. (laughs) It's so great. It's like, it's, it's late August right now when we're recording this live. And I think we're booked through the end of October right now. Wow. Yeah. We've got two and a half to three months booked out on the show, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Juice. <laughs> Shout out to Juice for doing all that hard work. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of love for you in chat right now, Cappy. Um, yes, many people are are praising your name and spamming the Cappy command and making yes. the emotes happen. It's very cute. Also, Juice, go rest. You you have you have the Rona. It's, don't just go rest. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Don't make me ban you. <laughs> this is incredible. We all agree. It's so true. Yes. Uh, Cappy doesn't currently have chat pulled up. So if you want me to relay a message to her, please use the highlight message feature so that I notice. That's that's all I'll say about that to the live stream. 
Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, welcome to Genderful, Kathy. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, in my head, I just imagined you making a uh, long-time listener, first-time caller joke. <laughs> long-time listener? Oh, I don't want to do that joke. Oh. Okay. Nope. Alice Napalm says hi and highlighted her message to tell you that. <laughs> okay. Hi, Alice Napalm. Um, all right. I'm going to let Brianda ask the first question because otherwise I'll get too excited and ask all the questions. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) So, Cappy, what might be some of the things you can trace back to your youth and indicate it might be gender diverse one day? To my youth, huh? Mm -hmm. Oh, let's see. Well, a little background on me. Um, I grew up on a cattle ranch in the Pacific Northwest, in the middle of the desert. Um, And it was one of those things where, like, when I was a kid, I didn't really have an understanding of gender or anything like that. Like, there was, I'm one of those, one of those people that didn't have a, um, let's see, uh, a very good understanding of like insight into myself, I guess. I was mostly just trying to make sure that I uh, followed the rules and uh, did a good job and did well in school. So like I uh, really the first, the first gendery thing that probably um, I ran into was whenever I was in college, actually was probably 18, 19 years old. It was, you know, all the way through, you know, most of the way through my first wrong puberty at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I had a, uh, a, let's see, it was kind of a, an unconscious desire to shave all of my body hair off. Um, and I didn't know why I wanted to do that, but I wanted to. And it was like, felt good to me. Like, I would do that. And then I would, you know, come up with different techniques of however I got that done. But uh, ever at the end of the day, like, I'm like, all right, this is awesome. Like, um, you know, and, and then just like, not very far after that. I the, the body hair grows back, you know, it's, it gets super itchy. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, shaving the body hair off, it's fun, but the the aftermath is not to be uh it's not enjoyable. Oh yeah. I have to keep doing this. It's like uh I got to figure out a, a more sustainable way of doing this. Like and then it just kind of went to shaving like my pubic hair off. Mm. And I kept it like that. And everything else was kept, kept the same, you know, just had to live mm-hmm. with it. Long, long arm hair and just like, nah, come on, man. Yeah, I don't like that, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and leg hair too, just, just didn't feel right, you know, still really doesn't actually. Yeah. So, uh, hope that answers the question. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's very relatable to me. I mean, my relationship with my own body hair definitely played into my own kind of trans journey. Um, I know personally, um, I experienced a lot of um, shame and cultural pressure to not shave it. So I don't know if you had the like a similar experience with that, but I know like when I was first starting to um, experiment with my gender, um, I thought that people would immediately notice that I was starting to shave my arm hair because I used to have like hairy gorilla arms. And right. um, when I did, no one noticed. And it's it's funny because we hyper-focus on, on that sort of thing as, you know, as trans people, but, you know, such gender people really don't notice or care about such things. And in fact, I had to point it out to, to some people, you know, after I'd already come out. So um, I don't know if you had experienced any sorts of those feelings of either shame or, or societal pressure to kind of play the role that you were assigned. Oh, societal pressure. Well, like, I came to this realization of shaving my body hair off at a time where I was sharing communal showers with other men. Mm -hmm. um, because I lived in a dorm. Uh, I was going to college. And it was one of those situations where I had a roommate. Uh, we didn't we weren't really that naked around each other. And I really didn't want to be naked around my roommate. And it was, you know, a male roommate. Uh, and then the bathroom was one of those bathrooms where it's like, you don't really have much privacy in the shower. Uh, I try to create as much privacy as I could in the shower. Um, and it wasn't as bad at college as it was in high school. Like that was just a no way would I ever think to try to um, explore anything there. It wasn't mm -hmm. even an option really in my mind. And I, you know, and growing up the way I did with the, you know, with the parents and the lifestyle and, and such, exploring any kind of femininity itself was um highly ridiculed and yeah yeah no that's um we're we're of a similar generation so um yeah yeah i uh definitely know what you're talking about um unfortunately having grown up in an environment of toxic masculinity where anything feminine um is is mocked or looked down upon or you know outwardly um uh antagonized so yeah no that's it's tough um and it's that's not the best environment you know to explore your gender so yeah so clearly yeah. cappy something's happened between being that that kiddo and being that even college student shaving body hair uh, between then and now, which you're pretty yeah. far along in your trans journey. Um, how yeah. has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Like you're, you can talk about any medical transition stuff you feel like talking about, but like just in general, like, you know, what's the, what was your path to being the level of self-actualized that you are today for those who are still trying to find their way? authenticity right um all right uh you know i really did start out as being so uh uh introspective i suppose 
I mean, back back when I was 18, I certainly wasn't that introspective. Um, not as much as I am now. Uh, but but the one thing that I was introspective on was how I was different from everyone that I knew. And that started pretty early on in school. And the earliest that I can remember that happening was kindergarten, actually, where uh, we were kind of in a group and we were told to read out of out of a book. And everyone just like took their turns reading out of a book. And like I read my thing out of a book and I didn't think anything of it. And the next thing I know, I was told to go to the principal's office. And I'm like, why am I going to the principal's office? I didn't do anything wrong, did I? Um, and so I go to the principal's office and I'm thinking I'm in trouble for something. And it turns out I was give, I, I was there for because he wanted to give me a certificate for like, you're being an awesome reader. And I'm like, okay, it's interesting. Like, I did so well that a principal's giving me a certificate for reading. It's It was weird to me. Uh, and was, and then I, and then after I got that, I'm, I was like looking at everyone else, like, aren't everyone else? Why isn't everyone else getting a certificate? Did everyone else get a certificate? Why am I getting a certificate? So weird. Uh, and then that just kind of like, I, I am of the, of the personality and, and the curiosity nature of me that if I've got an unanswered question, it digs at me. It just gnaws for years and never goes away. Like if there's an unanswered question, my brain will just sit there and churn on it. Um, and that like never stopped. It just kept going um, through school. Why am I in a special reading group? Why am I made to read with people a grade higher than me reading books? Am I... Am I reading so well that they had to like challenge me to like, yeah, exactly. They did have to challenge me. I was mm. reading above everyone else's grade level. So they were like, go read with the fifth graders over here. I'm like, okay. I was like third grade reading with fifth graders. Like what is <laughs> going on? Um, and just, it just kept going. It just like, why am I different? What what's what, what's different about me? And just, like so the so the gender thing wasn't figured out until later but the whole like difference between me and someone else uh perpetuated itself like for years and years and years and it just just a snowball like a you know the katamari damacy of like <laughs> different different like nuggets that just kept accumulating and so, you know you're you're married to a gamer you make casual video games yeah. oh my god <laughs> i i i i, abs I absolutely adore katamari damasi <laughs> and this is going to make me sound like a serial killer but my favorite part of that game is when your ball gets big enough where you can start picking up people and i just i get so much joy from hearing their screams <laughs> <laughs> I like when you can roll up buildings, but the game always ends right around then. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I want to roll up all the buildings. I want to get every single one. 
Uh, but I, I did want to circle back to something because, uh, I, I mean, you, you were identified as a gifted child. I mean, that's, you, you didn't say those words, well, but that's, you know, when you're, I mean, when you're bumped up to uh, a reading level, um, you know, that's essentially what you are. You're uh, quote unquote, a gifted child. And that's something I have some personal experience with. So um, I very much relate to how that can make you feel very different and how it can isolate you as well. Because, yeah, you might be a third grader reading with the fifth graders, but you're still a third grader. And at that age, that two-year difference is huge. Um, so th do you think that's kind of, how do you think that affected your early gender journey? Oh, um, I don't know. Uh I don't know how it, I don't, I, at that point, I didn't, I don't know how it would relate to my gender journey. Mm -hmm. um, but it did relate to my authenticity journey. Mm. Right. Um, which is, you know, I define authenticity as um, uh, knowing oneself enough to, sh and, and, and having the, the, the courage to show it to, to everyone else. Kind of kind of sort of and there's 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 different aspects to that there's a lot of different aspects to what you choose to show to people what you feel like you need to just not hide mm. it's really what it comes down to mm -hmm. um so it's like you know this kind of continued on and if we go if we go to like that college age person where I'm shaving my body hair off and all of that, right? At that point, um, I had graduated high school with, you know, in the top 10% of my class. I belonged to like the honor society. Um, so I graduated with honors from high school. Um, and uh, I was at, in college to, uh, you know, to, for a computer science degree. And I was also in the Air Force ROTC. So, like, you know, my point up until then, uh, you know, I had grown up on a cattle ranch that sort of, like, shaped shaped me in, in a way, like, essentially eliminating fear. Uh, I was trained out of it. So I don't really fear things. Mm. Um, I don't really feel it in my body that I'm fearful. Mm. Uh, you know, but whenever it does happen, I'm like, wow, that's a weird feeling fear. It's just like, whoa, that's gross. Uh, and then I try to like, I remember this fear, you know, I remember what this feeling is, but I, I felt it like years and years ago as a child mm -hmm. and the way that, you know, and then my family would see that I was fearful about something and then be like, well, you gotta just go do it now. You just gotta go like. Get back up on that horse that fucked you off and ride it around. Or, you know, just you fall off the haystack. You're climbing right up that haystack again. And you, you're just facing fear in the moment, like right then. Just like if you're fearful, then do it. You know, you're going to get over this because if you're fearful on a ranch, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to make some bad decision where you can't think in the moment and then you're going to get stomped. Or something like, or gourd, mm. or some yeah. other horrible yeah. fate. Yeah. So, 
And I feel like um, animals react to you differently when you're afraid or anxious or yeah, they can yeah. totally tell. Yep. Yeah. So like, I'm in college, and then I like, you know, I I go through college and transfer to another college, and um, eventually graduate computer science, and and all the while never having that question answered of why am I different from everyone else? Mm -hmm. Eventually, like, you know, I, I get jobs. I bounce from startup to startup. I end up in some, you know, uh, an apartment at one point with a borrowed washer and dryer uh, that they lent to me. And I open the dryer and here's this skirt in there, like someone else's skirt. And I'm like, that's weird. They delivered a dryer with someone's clothes in it. So I washed it again <laughs> and made and dried it again and made sure it was clean. And then I then I like, huh, I don't know whose skirt this is, but maybe I should put it on. And then I did. And it was amazing. And yeah. I didn't know what that feeling was about. I'm like, what's going on in my body right now? Uh, How old were you? This? Yeah. I, um, I, I was like, um, <laughs> what was, how old was I? What year was that? Um, like 21, 22, somewhere in there. It was like, uh, 25? 25. Yeah. 25 years old. First time wearing female clothes. Yeah. And uh, not knowing what that feeling was. I'm like, this is strange. Mm -hmm. I feel oddly great. Like, before I did that, I locked all the doors. Of course. I closed all the window blinds. I was the only person that living in my apartment. No one else had a key except for like my landlord, but I'm like mm. bolting the door and shutting it and just banking a container and put my. Is that your first time head. living alone? Uh, it's like your family really. of origin. There is no. a bunch of people in your house. Oh yeah, like yeah, like I mean, in college there was times where I was you know single in a dorm room. I could have done that then, but never really occurred to me yeah uh it was sort of you just didn't, you didn't have conveniently abandoned a skirt in those days <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i've i've had a very similar experience actually where i found in our apartment's laundry room i found an article of women's clothing and you know i just kind of grabbed it because it was abandoned and i tried it on and i had a very oh. similar I had a very oh, similar cool. reaction. So, um, yeah, that's, I, I talk about this on the show all the time, about just the power of clothing and just wearing clothing that yeah. aligns more with your, your gender identity, even if you don't know what your gender identity is. So I'm sure at that time you were not identifying, you know, as a woman and definitely various points in my life where I've tried women's clothes while identifying as a man and feeling all these emotions and not having the language to describe what they what it was and but i knew that it made me feel good 
So yeah, that is, I'm sure a lot of trans people have had similar experiences or would have gone through similar experiences in those, in those similar situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I did want to say, so that we're going to do a little bit of a hard segue here into kind of a less serious sure. topic, but uh, do you have a favorite piece of media cre- by trans creators? Favorite piece of media by trans creators. Oh, like I'm a big fan of the Wachowski sisters. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Of Wachowski I mean, sisters. I was going to say the matrix, but I didn't want to bury the lead on that one. So I didn't want to like, you know, it's like, I, I didn't want to answer that question for you, but it's literally here in our show notes. It's like matrix. Probably. I wrote, it. I wrote that. <laughs> I just wanted to give Kathy a chance to, fangirl about the matrix for yes. minute, basically yes i mean <laughs> um well the, the interesting part about that was like the wachowski sisters made the movie bound mm. before they made the matrix and i had watched bound in 1999 2000 2001 somewhere in there mm-hmm. um and thought it was great like it's like wow this is so good mm-hmm. um didn't identify as a lesbian at that point um i was still very much a a white cis man at that mm-hmm. point um but i was like wow this is like damn good movie um then uh there was like the matrix came out in 99 i went to the theater five mm-hmm. times and watched the matrix in the theater uh i it's probably the only movie i've ever seen in a theater more than once actually mm-hmm. um it really struck a chord with me yeah and that was before either of those sisters came out yeah but i think they sort of you know had something going on that uh, they had a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And maybe they didn't know it. Maybe they did. I'm not sure. But it certainly struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, then later on, uh, Lana Wachowski made Sense8, the TV show. And I really liked that show too. Especially that they cast a trans woman as uh as part of you know the characters and then i got to see like someone like me in a actual real show like acting with everyone else and like it was really normalizing and great to see and uh so i keep my eyes open for where trans folks have been incorporated in media and i'm pleased to see that it's happening more and more mm-hmm. and uh we're not just a token anymore yeah. we used to be we used yeah. to be like very one-dimensional let's make fun of this person over here sort of things but yeah you know it's great uh, yeah i mean that's yeah. and, oh boy i could talk about that for hours but uh but yeah, yeah so could i yeah um trans representation in media um up until recently has been um yeah it's either the trans person is played for laughs or they are 
the villain. So, I mean, there's two movies that, yeah, I mean, these are very good movies and I really like them, but the, the movies Psycho and Silence of the Lambs both have a antagonist, a, you know, a murderer that can be seen, that can be read as trans. Um, so, I mean, you can make arguments that, oh, well, they're not really trans, but I mean, they're, they're coded as trans. So like, yeah. um, and that portrayal, it's, it's really hard to see this. And it's what makes it really difficult for me is that they're really good movies and I can't just like trash them, but like, it's just as a trans person, it's, it's hard when that's the only, those are the only portrayals, uh, of trans people that, that we had up until, you know, um, the last, I would say decade or so um so but yeah it's yeah and and uh tolstoy l12 and chats is the butt of a joke so um there's one movie that i have no fondness for in fact quite the opposites uh is the first ace ventura movie where you know again the antagonist yeah. of that movie is trans and it's yeah. the butt of a joke and it's yeah. a very tasteless one and it's one that, you know, in 2023, watching that movie is it's extremely cringy. And yeah. I, I can't watch it. Like, I just yeah. can't. It does not, does not hold up. Does no, not. I, I would argue it never did. I mean, even like, because yeah. I remember watching the movie when it came out, and I felt very strange with it. So, but yeah. Yeah. Some. Yeah. But I'm I'm so glad that we have better trans representation these days. So uh, you mentioned The Matrix. I mean, The Matrix is an intrinsically trans film. Uh, in fact, um, one of my um, friend of a friend has a very good video on YouTube about that. Uh, you should absolutely go look that up. Um, and But a lot of it is subtext. Uh, whereas now we have explicitly trans characters mixed in with, you know, the subtextual characters so uh that is wonderful to see and i think that is really going to help a lot of the newer generation kind of come to terms with um they don't have to walk the same difficult road that we had to walk with our transition so um but yeah i think we are coming up on our ad break here is that right we are so we have many questions still folks so stay tuned for after the the be right back we're going to be talking about uh, being trans in the workplace, um, being trans while parenting, and um, and we're going to hear the mythical boat story. That is yes. Cappy's favorite story to tell at parties. It's a very oh, good and very long story. Yes. We might have to take a third break before the boat story, to be honest, but it's going to be worth it. You should stick around for the oh, boat it's story. Actually, I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard the short version of the boat story, and yes, it, it's, it's, it's wild. wild. It's wild. <laughs> Definitely stick around for that. <laughs> so, good. so good. So we're gonna we're gonna float towards um what it's like transitioning at work. Um, because that's that's an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kathy, okay. what was it like for you coming out as trans in the workplace? Uh well, yeah, like that's a whole thing. Um <laughs> tell you what. Um, I've considered myself like, oh, I've got it just before we get into that. Uh, please meet Shai Haloub. The great maker. <laughs> That's the name of your plant. It's the name <laughs> of my plant. I haven't named mine yet, but this was my uh, birthday present from you. 
I feel left out. I feel left out. I don't even, I don't have any plants. Uh, we almost, in my mind, we almost came back each holding a cat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I also don't have any cats. So <laughs> I know, no. Um, it's a cute plant. <laughs> okay. So, like, the current job that I hold, I started in 2007 as a guy. And, um, Life went on. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna name names. We're not gonna name where she works. Yeah, we're yeah. Nope. Um we uh I kind of just like worked there and then on my own had you know it was starting to break down for me. Like my eggness was starting to come to an end. And that started around 2013. Um, and I really didn't understand what was happening, actually. I was like, I basically figured out, like, hey, I want a vagina, actually. I think that would be all right. <laughs> I brought that up with my wife at the time, who promptly freaked out on me that's a she uh did not uh she did not um she was not aligned with that situation let's just say at the time and so i stuffed that back in the bottle I'm like well guess i'll live with that one yeah we all know how that turns out um so i sort of did an internal journey at that point of what does this mean what here's a here's a new open question what is this um and then there was still the open question of why am i different from everybody else and then there's this what is going on with me there mm. is like something i need to i need to figure this stuff out and so I, I sort of went into this deep research phase of, like, figuring out, like, uh, of the things I could, like, identify and point out and, and Google about. Um, I Googled my way to an answer on both of them. I figured out I was autistic. And then I figured out that I'm suffering from gender dysphoria. And then it was the, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a real, there was kind of a side realization that, um, that I needed to stop drinking alcohol because growing up on a ranch, it's part of the culture. And so that's a whole, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother part of my life. Like I grew up making my dad drinks, uh, mixed drinks with whiskey at age four that was fun for him to give me an assignment like go make me a whiskey and so i would and then i would take little sips off it just to make sure it was you know too standard and then uh he's like yeah you're making a better drink there and uh so there's that like i was drinking alcohol at age four <laughs> Essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, so I reached a point in 2014 
of like, you know, sort of these things that have happened over my life, sort of things that made me question whether I should, you know, maybe I should stop drinking. Uh, maybe I should try that as an experiment because it was kind of scary and I was like pretty steeped in it all, right? And just uh, asking myself the question, when's the last time that you've went a whole year without drinking? And I went backwards in time and like age four, that's pretty dang sad. Uh, Four-year-old, seriously. So I'm like, all right, well, how hard can it be? Let's just stop drinking now for one year. Let's see how it goes. So I stopped drinking in 2014. Just didn't join any kind of programs or anything. Just uh, stopped drinking. And uh, it turns out there's a reason why I was drinking. It was to... Uh, uh, it was self-medication for my anxiety. And uh, so whenever that was gone, there was no coping mechanisms anymore. Mm. And then things started to really accelerate with my coming out. Mm. I really had to start asking myself questions of like, I started to get panic attacks. I started to get like really super anxious about everything. Uh so like my research kind of accelerated too. And so I came to, came to the realization that, you know, I'm autistic. I've got gender dysphoria. I, I could uh, continue where I'm going, you know, what I'm doing and just drink myself to an early grave. Like my uncle who died of alcoholism, um, I've got children. And so they'll see me as some drunk uh, until I'm dead. And is that something that they want to live with? To have like that as a parent? And whatever downward spiral that would entail and how, you know, my personality would have totally been affected by that and it wouldn't have been for the, for the better. Like that isn't a very healthy option for anybody. It's not for healthy for, my, for me and it isn't healthy for my marriage and isn't healthy... For my children, there's no no one benefits from this line. There is like uh, unaliving myself in some form to because like bottling up gender dysphoria for that long, you can't. I couldn't do it for very much longer. Something had to happen, and like, okay, what's the healthy path forward here? Let's just focus on what's the healthy path forward. The healthy path forward was me to come out and take HRT. That was what I was thinking, like, oh, gender dysphoria, you you come out as trans and you take HRT. And uh, then your dysphoria sort of like lessens. I'm like, wow, okay, um, that sounds a little, it sounds like the end of my marriage. That sounds like something my wife at the time wouldn't go for. That sounds like uh, a path where I would lose a lot of family. There was a lot of like calculus going on in my brain of the implications of going down that path. It, but uh, it ended up actually being, um, it, it ended up actually being the, the, the only way forward 
that was healthiest. And so that's kind of what I focused on. What is healthiest? Mm-hmm. What's healthiest for my children? What's healthiest for me? Sure, my family wouldn't understand and they'd, I'd probably lose them. I wasn't really that close to them anyway, actually. Uh, I'd lose my marriage, which I wasn't really... Uh, it was sort of like on its way out anyhow. And I was, you know, it would, it would provide like a convenient escape. I suppose. And uh, then it came to my work. Like, what would wearing work do about me coming out? Well, it just so happens that my work had a white paper, um, a toolkit, white paper PDF thing that specifically outlines this is what this is what we do when someone comes out at work. We run through the steps. We you know engage HR and your manager and all these other people, we get everyone on the same page. We do, you know, it's kind of like a very coordinated announcement sort of deal. We change all your stuff in the back end. Like we've got it all handled. And I'm like, well, that's reassuring that, you know, at least whenever I come out at work, it's going to be not a complete disaster. Uh, So like I Tried to find a therapist. That was the first thing that I uh, needed to do. Try to find a therapist that would, you know, be able to talk to. That's re- that was really hard back then. Uh, and this was, uh, oh, when was this? 2014. 2014, 2015. Trying to find a therapist that knew trans stuff in my area that I could talk to about it. That would qualify for me to actually get on hormone therapy. Um, and so I just started to learn that whole, you know, figuring out the insurance, figuring out what I had to do. I didn't even know what WPATH was at the time. Um, that came kind of a year later. Like once I started to figure out I was trans, then I started to really research into that whole thing. Like, okay, well, um, I guess I'm a woman. That's interesting and weird, but makes a lot of sense because I remember the Katamari Damasi ball of rolling tidbits of, why are you different? Why is this thing? And like, it's it was either autism or it was being trans. <laughs> all the way back. Like, yeah, yeah. all right, well, this answered all the questions. So like, I came out. I came out and I lost a lot of family and I lost my marriage and uh but work was a best case scenario Mm. and I'm very happy about that because it was it was very well done my coming out at work everyone at that point like oh you know they were they were actually prepped like a trans woman flew out from the east coast and uh like sat down with the entire engineering team and said, you know, and like kind of taught them trans one-on-one so I wouldn't have to. Um, It was actually bundled together with another person coming out at work too. So it was just the two of us coming out at work at the same time. And then after that point, it was like everyone treated me with very, you know, very respectful. There was actually no incidents at all and really hasn't been since then. Uh, They... Use my new name and pronouns, everything. Like, 
Um, so in my case, it was best case scenario. We had like, you know, they, our business was prepared. They already had something written that they could follow. I now belong to like trans efficacy sort of ERG level stuff at my work. I am in charge of the white paper that was originally the one that I followed. Like now I'm actually contributing content to it and, and curating it for other trans people coming out of work. I'm about to go somewhere to like, you know, advertise the fact that our company has one of these white papers and maybe you should too. <laughs> so like that was, you know, that was, that's, that was the whole coming out of work thing. And really the more traumatic piece of it was just coming out as trans to begin with and losing every and, and watching people grieve is really what it is. Yeah. It's a lot of grief. It's a lot of grief. There's a lot of people thinking that they knew you and now they think that they don't. There's a lot of people thinking you're dead. It's a lot of people thinking that, uh, uh, that they've lost you. And it's, painful to watch people go through a grieving process and sometimes they don't come out of it yeah and then they blame you for it and like yeah i just can't oh you can't own that it's not it's not mine to own that's not mine to yeah. own that's your grief you're the only person that can own that so i think that's important to keep in mind is that if you're coming out and people are grieving that's their problem if they don't have any coping mechanisms for that that's their problem um and uh it shouldn't hold you up from actually being authentic that's your that this is my problem being authentic like um and that's the whole point of this talk right is authenticity mm -hmm. uh i felt like i needed to be authentic i couldn't hold this in anymore it wasn't healthy for me to do that the, i had no choice <laughs> Uh, yeah. I had no choice but to take HRT. It's going to feminize me. Uh, I'm going to come out at work and change my name and all of that. I want to be known as Justine as a woman. She, her pronouns. Pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, and since then, I've, you know, yes, I've had surgeries. Um, yes, I've had all of the surgeries. And yes, I uh, don't regret anything. <laughs> Zero regrets about <laughs> any of the things i have done to myself and i am super happy and like you know there's just a handful of things that i'd like to still work on but for the most part that's the best thing i've ever done it's yeah. the most healthy thing i've ever done for myself besides not drinking alcohol <laughs> uh yeah yeah no i i completely get where you're where you're coming from i mean uh, I'm fond of saying that the only regret that I have is that I didn't do it sooner. Yeah, well, yeah. So, um, and I wanted to circle back to something else that you, that you were talking about, how people grieve. And, you know, they're grieving the person that you were. And not everyone comes out of that. Um, not everyone is able to accept who you really are. And um, I'm really sorry that you had to sacrifice so much. For your own happiness um and that's unfortunately the world that we live in but 
the end of the day, we can't control how people are going to react. And it's also not our responsibility. I mean, it's, if you can't, if someone can't handle the fact that we're trans, well, I mean, sorry to be blunt, but that's a you problem. Like, yeah. yeah. So, and, um, and, and yeah, so I, I mean, I have a bit of a personal stake in hearing about your um, trans, your transition at work, because um, I'm actually going back to my own job uh, next week <laughs> after not being at work for two years. Um, and, you know, the last time I was there, I was a dude. So I'm having to go through all of this stuff myself. So it's, it's very helpful to me personally to hear about your experiences, you know, transitioning at work. Um, what has it been like transitioning medically? Because it's, I mean, it's one thing to come out as trans and, you know, asking everyone to use your, your new name and your new pronouns, but then it's, you know, it's another thing when your appearance changes or stuff like that. So what has that been like for you? Um, it's been like, definitely life-changing. It's actually one of the, it, it's like one of those things that you don't realize, um, just how much it matters until you do it. And, you know, as far as like bottom surgery goes, I had it on the books to do bottom surgery maybe a year or two before I even got it. Um, the first time I pushed it out because I needed to do more therapy. Uh, yeah. my, my, I wasn't integrated enough internally to uh be able to uh get over some of the anxieties that i had and i think it's you know i think people need to hear that you know if you're not ready you're not you're not ready until you are and you'll know it when you are um and i and then i was uh and then and then covid hit and then i had to reschedule uh my surgeon which was in New York, and then scheduled for another surgery. They were doing which was mass. Closer to home. They were doing mass graves right then. It was so bad. Was I was super sad about it, but also it's like I'm not gonna fly into Brooklyn and be in the middle of COVID and try to get a surgery done. And I wasn't even. I didn't even know if they'd even open up the hospitals for it. And even then, like, do I really want to be in a hospital with that much COVID flying around? Probably not. So, like, um, you know, eventually I did get bottom surgery. And uh, there's YouTube videos about my before and afters about that, which you can go see and look up. Go to Gender Meowster uh, yeah, YouTube. They're, at, and, they're on my channel. Um, yeah. There's a playlist about your bottom surgery journey. I don't remember putting a playlist for any yeah. of your other procedures. Um. I don't at one point at one point we counted how many surgeries we've had between the two of us since we got together, you know, three, four years ago. Yeah. And now I've forgotten. Okay, why well, is you had, on my hand? The let's do bottom it. surgery one. Right. And then like when's <laughs> what was the next one? <laughs> you had uh, your revisions to your bottom surgery. Revisions to bottom surgery. I had, had FFS one and two. Yep. And then uh breast augmentation and body contouring. So yeah. there's that many. Did you get any revisions to any of those other ones? 
Did you only have revisions no. with bottom surgery? Or was there any other revisions? No other revisions. Because you also drove out to see the doctor for follow-ups three months later and six months later, and it was like all these trips, like yeah, five, six-hour drive away. And I was like, you could do yeah, that by yeah. yourself. <laughs> I'm tired. And then I've yeah. had uh, my top surgery part two because I had a reduction before I ever met you, but it wasn't sufficient. So now I've had a top surgery, and I had my uterus deleterist. The uterus? <laughs> yeah. I also had... A surgery on my nose, but that wasn't for trans reasons. It was for breathing enough reasons. Mm -hmm. So that's eight surgeries in like three or four years. It's like two surgeries a year on average. It's been a time. We've been through a yeah. lot of surgeries together. Yeah. <laughs> tea for tea couples are lucky if they get to have this many surgeries, though, to be honest. Like it's hard to access medical care yeah. and have the money for it. But it's also, it's really fantastic that you can, both of you can be there for each other during your yeah. surgery recoveries, because yeah. I know that's a big point of anxiety for me is like, I mean, I live alone and it's like some of these surgeries, you're, you're basically bedridden and you're not able to take care of yourself. It's like, well, I got nobody yeah. to take care of me. So it's, you know, having that person in your life that is going to be there for you is, is mm -hmm. so important. Yeah. yeah, you know, I can Absolutely. tell you one of the most important things that I learned is it's crucial to have like two people uh, the first three days or so, two people who are not yeah. the recovering person, because mm -hmm. the recovering person basically needs round the clock care. And so you have to take shifts, you have to have a day person and a night person. Mm -hmm. And also what I learned for me is I'm both disabled and terrible at cooking and nobody wants me to be cooking the food that is supposed to be supporting Cappy's physical recovery. <laughs> <laughs> so we have been very lucky to have darling friends that have taken, you know, a weekend or part of a week off work to come help us with the initial recovery period of some of these procedures. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to all of you. I'm not going to say your names and out you on my podcast. You know, but you, you know who you, you are. Know who you are. <laughs> you saw us all naked and bloody and bruised and gave us ice packs and went through that with us. And we're grateful for each and every one of you that have taking that journey with us it really does take a village <laughs> yeah so yeah 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 i've definitely uh seen my uh my share of absolute gross <laughs> of surgery yeah. like oh, some yeah. some of that stuff like ffs surgery the face gets all um swollen mm -hmm. and that it took it takes an emotional toll to see your face like that in a mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And it's it's just like uh I will look normal again someday, right? <laughs> now you're real cute. Yeah, <laughs> no, I am. That's exactly Aww. right. <laughs> I consider myself um, pretty hot. You know, I look in the mirror, I'm like, ah, you're hot. Yeah. Today. I mean that's you I know? mean we'll we'll get into that later, but it's it's always nice when you feel that gender euphoria when you look yeah. in the mirror like what you see. Because, you know, as, as yeah. trans folks for most of our lives, you know, we've looked in the mirror and not liked what we've seen. So it's true. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take those W's when we can get them. <laughs> yep. I have more thank yeah. yous I need to add. Um, we, we also had the support of people from afar. So we had people like helping us with med tracking, like, like. We had people making spreadsheets for us and we also had people like calling us every couple hours. Like there was one point where I was recovering for one of my surgeries 
and um, two or three different people were taking turns calling me to remind me to take my meds. And it was like we had all these different time zones. Like I think Ray was one of them and I think mom was one of them. And so then I had like every three hours, one of them would call me. And those were because Cappy was still working right then. She didn't take time off for my recovery because she'd already taken so much time off throughout the year for her surgeries. She didn't have time left to take off for mine. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think both Ray and mom were calling me during like sleeping and working hours. And then Cappy was doing kind of evenings in our time zone. Um, and yes, Ray is a spreadsheet wizard and makes excellent med tracking spreadsheets even from multiple countries away um mm. so and the clouder like our our work community like kept the streams going on the channel when i was away for all of this because i had to i had to go for both mine and cappy's and so you know we're trying to start this cool online community but then it's like well time to go be trans some more i guess heck <laughs> and and you know like as a twitch streamer like you can't just be offline for two weeks a bunch of times in a year or you lose your community. Like people go find someone else to watch. They they want other communities to spend time with, you know, because it, the streams can become a part of someone's work routine or a part of any routine, right? And so when you interrupt the routine, especially in a community that's so like autistic and ADHD heavy as ours, who really relies on routine, like it just could be disastrous. So um, I just also wanted to add thank you to all the contributors that made something happen on the channel TM arms flailing goes here <laughs> so that you know the channel would stay alive and we'd all have a place to come home to at the end of it all um it really has taken a whole bunch of us to make all of us go at the same time and i'm just so deeply grateful for everyone's support i just feel i feel really lucky i feel really lucky yeah yeah i'm grateful mm -hmm. for everyone's support absolutely it's a it's like a community effort and we we have got each other and we're you know as far as like the like the trans community itself, nobody knows really what we go through unless you know you feel it personally in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. um, encouraging that is uh, really important. Yeah. So that that actually kind of dovetails us nicely towards my next question, which is. Um, well, I've talked about you a lot on the show, Cappy, because you're my wife. And so whenever yeah. trans femme guests have been out, I've been like, oh, yeah, my wife has that experience, too. I'm just like, yeah, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, my wife, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, okay. you know, and part of that is because your experiences have, have so much shaped mine, right? Like you, I mean, I came out as non-binary, I think around the same time as you came out as trans, but you started medically transitioning much sooner than I did. And I'm pretty sure I talked about this when I was the guest on the show, but you have played such a huge role in supporting me while I faced my own fears about realizing I'm autistic, starting HRT, like having my whole sexuality identity get turned on its head because, you know, testosterone yeah. melted my brain, <laughs> like just all of it. Testosterone's and, a hell um, of a drug. <laughs> it is. Uh, yes. Whoa. <laughs> it's an adventure. Um, but, you know, the other piece of that is like, not only did we do that and we had our private moments that we shared about all of those pieces, which honestly would end up in a in a check-in like two months later, I'd have like my own private like ah, anxiety, fear. And then I'd like, you know, get used to whatever that fear was. And then I was able to kind of share it with others. And the reason I make those trans check-ins is because I wanted, you know, other non-binary and trans people coming 
along after me to to know that those fears are real. Like I still remember when I was like, oh, I'm scared I'm gonna lose my singing voice. Like T's gonna change my voice in that fear. Um I'm still finding my way back to singing, but I'm getting there. We're getting there. It's not a lost mm-hmm. cause. Um and so I guess what I'm trying to get to is what has it been like for you, Cappy, taking this content creation journey with me for the last three years? So we're still talking about transit work, but now it's my work instead of yours. Ha ha. Because you, you, you've played uh, a huge role in this community, but, you know, people don't always know what you do in the far background. So I guess, yeah, what has sure. that been like for you? Well, like I, um, I very much like being a part of the community. But I also like being uh, like being a part of the community that is sort of not um, front and center. Like I'm fine with being the uh, the sidekick, sort of the um, was like the, the 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 comic insult dog, you know, kind of off to the side of rrr, 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 mm. you know, triumph, <laughs> triumph. Yes. Oh my god, so I was good. a Conan O'Brien enjoyer back in those days. <laughs> so um, I don't. What you're talking about <laughs> like i am i'm more than happy being in the background supporting you because i i uh we both have our own paths to um trans advocacy work and this is how your trans advocacy work is um manifesting is making twitch content and uh supporting your community on discord and it's great i love seeing it um and mine is you know at work i stand up for all the trans employees at my workplace and uh really really ensure that they get what they need to to be um authentic at work essentially you know i like to think of the toolkit that i maintain as a gender authenticity toolkit um because really what it is, it allows people to be authentic uh, and be normal people, you know, people that don't have to hide anything. Um, so we both approach our trans advocacy work, and I like supporting you in the background, handing you plates of food and making funny voices and uh, um, adding adding where, I'm, where I can. And I'm I'm perfectly happy with like not being in the spotlight that's your job right being in spotlight and interviewing people that's fine uh and i you know will make your computer go and do all the things in the background for you know all the tech and that's that's where my happy place lies but uh like the content creation piece it's just um uh it's not my uh it's not my strong suit to be in front of people like this like all the time so i still like when we have um hype trains on a wednesday night and you'll come play zelda terribly for five minutes (laughs) sort of my favorite things that i wish i could (laughs) sing my i wish i could sing my uh my uh stretch goals song but uh it's a uh, pg-13 oh right it's, now it's too it's too spicy for this dream, or, yeah. or or the mm. or the or the ice pack song or <laughs> i don't know you'll just or, have to wait for the... a genderful after dark Ooh, genderful <laughs> after dark yeah make yeah, some totally. make some special Invite patreon me. content 
invite me to that spicy invite me to that and ask me all the spicy things and then can let loose yeah totally we'll have the spicy cat boy in the Astro after dark stream soon i, we'll I acquired after some dark, more affordable after dark cat hot, ears. we'll do after dark hot tub where we're just like green screened into a hot tub you know we'll have to ask hexagonal how to do that because they did such a good job with their VTuber hot tub stream during one of our mutual aid events. VTuber. That's funny. <laughs> Ray did a rendition of the of the uh cool. of the stretch oh. goal song and made Kira giggle the other day. I just want to give a quick shout out to Kira Skiro and chat the gender FU asterisk podcast. And I'll let I'll let the listener fill in the blanks as to what that asterisk stands for. Nice. <laughs> so good i just want to clip the whole show <laughs> it's so fun i mean it is a clip, clip. it's the whole it's show bod, right it's like watch the i bod. know i know yeah. but like you know it's just i want there's all these little moments i want to catch and enjoy later you did giggle at the threshold <sighs> song that's awesome it's great i keep <laughs> i keep thinking we need to make an album one day with all of our goofy songs in it I I want to I want to what I want to see are people doing covers of of the things that I do. I think that would yeah. that's hilarious to me. It's kind of like when yeah. I saw, uh, what was it? Uh, who was that? It was like Sunbury doing ribs, doing the ribs thing. Oh, <laughs> we yeah. will record. It's uh, funny. We will record so one funny. for you. We should we should just have a contest. We should have a everyone does covers of our like channel stuff. So it could be anything. It could be the sub sub song or the bit song or one of Cappy's little sound commands or um you know funny clips of Miranda doing mischief during things, whatever. <laughs> I've been known to, you know, spur on some mischief from time to time. I, <laughs> I am a bit of a gremlin, you know. I, I I put on a professional face for this show, but on my yeah. show, I am 100 percent gremlin. <laughs> Everyone go follow NASA Attack on Twitch right now if you're not also on YouTube N-A-S-S-A-T-T-A-C-K if you want to see very sexy Baldur's Gate streams come to come come to my channel maximum chaos uh Happy got to catch one of your streams recently I think yeah Ooh, this is Baldur's Gate interesting like I saw you go live and I was like Happy, you should go hang out with Maria like I don't play I don't play video games I'm pretty famous I'm pretty famously not a gamer actually I, I write software for a living. So yeah. like I'm interested in how something was written and I could mm-hmm. write it probably, mm-hmm. but I don't um don't derive any uh pleasure from playing video games and mo- and this is why me we'll, playing we'll make a gamer out of you yet. <laughs> me playing Zelda. I'm just like, what do I do? I'm running around like just randomly just putting well, see, I find that surprising that you you, you don't consider yourself like so my opinion is that everyone is a gamer they just they just play different games i mean you do crossword puzzles you're a gamer uh but it's interesting to me that you say that you're not a gamer because you made a katamari reference before and that is like that's game i my brain is like that i'm i do (laughs) i collect information as a special interest like i could probably be on jeopardy and do pretty well actually Mm. (laughs) um like I like I like accumulating trivia. Mm. So 
I think you would like to play. I'd like sit down and play that game because it's I mean, that's a very accessible game for non gamers. And it is there's just something so relaxing about rolling a ball around and picking stuff up and then hearing people scream. Take Pappy to take Pappy to the pub quiz. Take Pappy to the pub quiz. Yeah, that'd be fun. I like doing the pub quiz, but I can't really drink much at a pub. Um, I'll have a soda water and lime. Yes, I mean, I'll, I'll do I'll do pub trivia and I'll 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 have a diet coke. Happy has Happy yeah. has participated in like Jackbox when we were playing with the kids during the early mm-hmm. lockdowns, and yeah. um, she also has uh, been willing to indulge the rest of us in some tabletop role playing games from time to time, mm-hmm. but mostly because it gave her a chance to have an activity to do with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um. One thing I love about her is her mind is she has such an engineer's mind. Like she just um like the the game to her is figuring out how to solve things. So it's like, ah, how can we solve the fencing issue in our property? And then we sat around for like three hours yesterday, like looking at different types of fencing. And I'm like, what about a cob fence? And she now her brain's like, let's think about this for three hours. Like it, I just see the gears start turning in her head. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna wander off now. Have fun thinking about that as long as you want to. <laughs> or like I'll be like, hey, can you code something that like when I type words, it'll make each letter a different color of the rainbow and then repeat? Because I want like a rainbow font. And then she just like whipped something up in Python one time for the walls. And I was like, Great, can you put in a word? She was like, No. I was like, okay. <laughs> that just saves me from having to learn VBA again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what has it been like for you, Cappy, um, transitioning with children? Because you have some, some teenagers. Um, well, I thought coming out, well, I, I tried to pre-wire coming out with them by just getting gender books and like having them, you know, reading that to them, um, and having them try to understand that there's people that experience gender differently and then i came out to them as a woman and they were actually like the easiest people to come out to uh it was very it was actually surprisingly easy to come out to my kids um scary it's one of those fear it was just so that's like one of those super fearful things i felt in my body like oh my god this could go this could go any you know i of of all the relationships that i wanted to make sure i i kept it's the relationship between me and my children super important to me as 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 a dad i'm still a dad to them they still call me dad i think that's kind of everyone's call but they knew me as dad i am their dad technically uh, I'm their father on the birth certificate. Uh, so they kill They still call me dad, you know, and, and then like certain public situations, I've told them, like, just call me my first name. Um, it's not trans capybara. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just call me my first name when you're in public in certain questionable situations. And I'll let you know when that is. Um, but otherwise just call me dad. That's fine. You don't have to keep, you don't have to change anything about that. Um, you do have to use my pronouns, though. You just have to uh, not he me around. And they don't. And it's been pretty consistent. And it's super easy for them to adapt. And actually, they didn't really grieve anything. Yeah. 
not so much with other family members, but with them, super easy, I found. And they were young, too. And I think that really helped. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, at that age, you're still kind of open to new ideas. And you haven't become jaded adults like us. <laughs> so uh, I think there's a lot more acceptance there uh, going, like, down to the younger generation um, versus going up to the older generation. So um, that's not something that we need to talk about because um, I know that's personally, a, that's a bit of a sore point in my case, but uh, but yeah, in terms of generations, you know, as generations progress, they kind of become more progressive and are better able to deal with new ideas. So um, I'm very glad that you still have a good relationship with your children because I mean, I see it, like I see how important it is to you. And, you know, yeah, I had the good it's fortune. It's super of, important. I mean, I had the good fortune of hanging out with both of you because I, you know, uh, most people know this, uh, listening to this know you, but uh, know this already. But I came down and visited both of you this summer. And um, yeah. yeah, it was, I had we a really good time. We Pride together and Table we did. podcast. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, um, and, you know, I didn't really interact with your kids very much, but um, I could see that, you know, how important it was. So, yeah, uh, we do have a question from the chat. So Ray asks, "How many coding languages do you know?" <laughs> oh gosh! Oh, let's count them. <laughs> C, C plus plus, Java, Python, Perl, Modula two, Pascal, DBA. I guess you could count that as a programming language, maybe. Java. I mean, if, we're count if we're counting Pascal, then I guess we're counting DBA. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, like scripting and like bash scripting. What else? What else? I don't really know Rust all that much, but you know it's kind of on the shelf to learn. I don't really know Go, but that's on the shelf to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I've 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 dealt with enough in my career as a software engineer slash systems administrator to. You know, if I don't know it and I need to like fix something, then I will learn it and then fix it. Yeah. And that means that I get to learn, you know, a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine, um, you know, as an engineer, um, you kind of learn a lot of things on an ad hoc basis. Um, that's, you know, I, tr I try to approach things that way as well. So yeah. uh, it's often a conversation that I have with my employer. It's like, well, I could learn this, but if I'm not going to use it, I'm just going to forget it. So it's much better for yeah. me things on an ad hoc basis when I need to. So, yeah. but uh, I don't do a whole lot of programming in my job. So, <laughs> but that's good change. Oh boy, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> but to bring it back to our, uh, to bring it back to our main topic here, um, what would you say you've learned about yourself from being a parent to two children? Oh, um, that's a good one. I'm a role model to them. Mm. I, um, and I think it goes beyond just being a dad to them. It's being authentic in front of them and around them to the world and showing that. Um, and there isn't like this dualistic, oh, I'm only trans, you know, some of the time. Mm. And then I'm in the closet another part of the time and show them like, you know, 
that there's, you know, I, I've personally gotten over the fear of being out and they get to see me not being fearful. Yeah. Um, I feel that's important. It's a, I think it's an important lesson. It's like, uh, you can be authentic and you don't need to be afraid. And if someone has a problem with that, that's their problem. And, and having that life lesson taught to them of what do you own and what do other people own and knowing what they own will lead them into more authenticity kind of by default. Because if they know they own something, then it'll be incumbent upon them to maybe improve themselves or, or introspect on themselves and know that it's not someone else's job to do that. And as a parent teaching them something, it's me teaching them how to be authentic and how to do it in a way where you're, you know, you, you keep fear sort of where it belongs. Uh, there, you know, it's, uh, it's healthy to recognize, but it's also healthy to figure out like where, where it's holding you back and where, uh, you know, anxiety about the future. Well, if it hasn't happened yet, then what do you, why, why, where's the anxiety coming from? So like giving them tools to introspect. Um. It's something my parents never gave me. And really, mm -hmm. that really comes down to, you know, my parenting sort of philosophy is, what was I not taught? What was I not taught that I wish I was? Mm -hmm. What tools do I want to give my children that I wasn't given? Uh, so that they have an easier time living their authentic life and passing that lesson down to their own children. So it is uh, not perpetuating the generational trauma that uh, I grew up in mm -hmm. and that I overcame. I don't want that to reignite itself. That's not my, that's not my job. My job is to be their parent. Yeah. And I really wish more parents had that attitude of, you know, not perpetuating generational trauma because, you know, oof, uh, <laughs> uh, being a victim of a generational trauma myself, um, I had a very different approach for ending um, ending that trauma um, and ending that cycle. And, um, but yeah, I really wish there was more parents like you out there uh, who really took that, takes, you know, has that introspection and is able to take that sort of thing seriously. Um, so that's really- You want to make kind of a side comment of any any parents of trans people, trans children, trans youth, that are listening or how or will listen to this uh wherever it may be uh thank you very much for uh being an ally to your children mm -hmm. to your trans youth children there's nothing more important you could have done as a parent than that mm -hmm. and if you are a parent that is experiencing a, a, a person that um, is trying to express themselves, listen to them and be a parent. And it's your job now to go introspect 
yourself and ask yourself why you may not be accepting them because there is no there is no other option they children are going to be who they are and usually they know more than you do uh please just be awesome please be awesome to people please be awesome to trans youth um and if you've got questions you know where to come you're listening to all three of us here and you've got the means to reach out and ask questions and i encourage you to do that mm -hmm. the discord server is a great place to have those good faith conversations um you know it's we're mostly trans people <laughs> so mm -hmm. um you know you're gonna get some trans hot takes <laughs> <laughs> but you know if you are a cisgender parent to a trans child like um the server is 18 plus so your kids can't join our server but you can and as long as you're respectful you're welcome to be in the space um but you know there's something for me that feels important to say about how um i feel like uh parents of trans youth having a chance to talk to adult trans people and hear us tell our stories there might be a way for those those parents to um, identify the moments where their struggle to adjust can cause lasting harm to their kid if they if they show it right. Um, there's it's it's really long ago now, but I think it's episode fourteen, maybe or sixteen, somewhere in there. My mom was on the show as my guest, and we talked about it and what it was like for her when I came out and changed my name and all of this stuff like mom helped me recover from my breast reduction surgery way before I ever had top surgery. And at the time I didn't think it was about gender, but my mom was like, this might be a little bit about gender. Like she, her little <laughs> weird wheels started turning in her head. And I was like, no, it's because of back pain. Um, it was both. It was both looking back now. Um, but yeah, it is, it is really important for parents to process their feelings or grief or whatever is going on with other parents, other adults, not their child. Like, don't tell your kid that you're grieving, at least not in the beginning. Maybe a couple years later when you're cool and everything is fine and you're kind of over it, you can tell them after the fact that that was part of your journey if it comes up. But like, please, for the love of God, don't tell your children that you're grieving the loss of who they were because it is so difficult to assert your new identity to people to have someone be like, oh, I'm hanging on to this old version of you. It's really destructive, like mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, psychically in your psyche yeah. brain. Like it's it's one of the worst things you can do. So it's, um, it's not your, process it's that not with other people, job. not your kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's I, not the kid's I, yeah. job to do that emotional labor. Yeah. No, I agree with That's that. That's your and yep. not just, and and not you, just for it, the parents. It's for, you know, all the adults in that kid's life. Like yep. They may not have a close relationship with their parents. They may have other like parental figures in their life, or they may have other adults in their life that they look up to. So it's that's it's so important, and it's not just kids either. If you come out as an adult, yeah, don't yeah. So everything you yeah. just said applies to your adult children as well. <laughs> yes, yes. But I so, I yeah. can just tell you, I'm so glad <laughs> that my mom handled those feelings with someone else or other people, and didn't put all that on me. Like that's one of the smartest choices that she made in that journey. And I'm happy to pass that wisdom on to any parent who will listen. 
<laughs> yeah. Yep. It's powerful stuff. Um, well, let me switch topics and let's talk about authenticity and then we'll take a break and we'll hear the boat story. Um, sure. so we have, we have two more questions on the authenticity topic. Can you give us an example of what navigating our facets of authenticity means to you, Kathy? Navigating the facets of authenticity. Um, that's a, um, it's a wide subject, yes. but let me just, it, it, let me, let's start out by just kind of laying the groundwork for what I mean by this. Uh, there's things that I've discovered in my own life that I've had to reckon with internally. Uh, some of those things I feel like um, need to be expressed outwardly because I might be like, you know, if I if I'm reckoning with something that uh, means that I'm masking somehow, like I'm showing a, f a front of some sort to, to people so that as to prevent them from seeing the true me in some in any respect, I've got to ask myself, is that is that working for me? Is that a tool that's actually, you know, um, working for me? Or was this like something that my child me just constructed and is just now just here still? So it's it's reevaluating re my coping mechanisms, my survival skills, my things that I've done, you know, to uh, protect myself. Now that I'm grown up, I can protect my inner children better. I can be a parent to them. Like, okay. That allows me to show a more authentic piece of me and still keep me protected because I've now kind of transformed sort of the the shell that I show on the outside. Now I'm seeing now that people are seeing deeper, but now I'm protecting into you know, I'm, I'm sort of focusing inward. Um and so part of that was coming out as autistic. And I masked all sorts of symptoms and i probably still do and to some respect and you know that's kind of an ongoing journey um i've masked that away and i've got to figure out how to slowly peel that back and it's it's deprogramming um but it is a facet of authenticity of like showing people I'm autistic and I, you know, I flail my hands around and my my eyes dart around everywhere whenever I'm talking. And sometimes I don't have the best words coming out of my mouth. Like I've realized that my uh, words that come out of my mouth come from a different part of my brain than my words that come out of my fingers. Like I can <laughs> type and my, my, my written communication is completely different from how I speak. Uh, and sometimes I read what I write and I, I like will stumble upon the, the things that I actually wrote. Like it doesn't come, it comes out of different parts of me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that's fine. That's great. That's just who I am. I can't change that. That's just who I am. Uh, COVID did a, me a, a great service in a way 
where it forced me to work from home and I didn't have to mask in front of everybody. In fact, meeting my partner, my spouse. Socially masked, you mean, instead of physically masked? Yeah. Autism socially Socially. masked, that's the version of mask you mean? Socially masked, right. Yes. So, you know, Jenna Meowster and I moved in together in 2019. And we lived together in the same place. And social masking fell away. And we both got to see each other in a very authentic way. And mm-hmm. it was like safe container for that. Because we're both autistic. Mm-hmm. And um, it was great. It's liberating uh, to feel that. And so like when I'm in public now, I actually feel a lot more raw because I, you know, all of those, uh, the, the things that I was doing, um, to be in public, I don't do anymore. And now people are like kind of side-eye me a little bit more and I've got to be okay with that because I'm, I'm trying to be more authentic from to myself. Like, this is a consequence. It's like coming out as trans and everyone like rejecting me. Well, this is like coming out as autistic and like showing that I'm not going to be masking my social, you know, stuff around people. Well, too bad. That's your problem. You know, I, this is who I am. And if you're going to treat me weird, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to notice that and I'm going to interact with someone else then. Uh, so like, uh, there's that. And then there's the facet of being me being trans, like, you know, that's, you know, at, at eight years after coming out, it's sort of, I'm sort of just done with that. Um, in a way, like I got through, I, I, I consider myself that I've gotten through my puberty phase. Like, uh, I was, (laughs) was angry for a long time. Like, Teenage angst at 40 years old. It was yeah. not fun. Not fun. No. Uh, yeah. Um, and I got through it. And now I'm a lot more solid. And, you know, I, I'm happy about being solid. <laughs> uh, that's great. It's a great feeling to be solid. Um, and, and now I've like, I've got like strength in my self to be authentic in front of everybody being trans, like mm-hmm. who has the problem now, right? <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I see a lot of, uh, people struggle with that in my community. Um, but I know that just given enough time, they're going to reach the point that I'm at. They'll just reach it. They'll, they'll reach out either an age or, you know, a, um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, some realization like, you know, I could just be a person. Um, the trans thing, I don't really think that I, you know, I can go around my day and like, eh, I'm just. Justine, you know, just I'm just a person, you know. I uh I 
go about my day. Don't even think that I am a uh, trans woman or anything. Just like, I'm just doing my thing. Sometimes I feel like I'm reverting backwards, but that's sort of its own thing. You know, I'm putting, I'm going out and doing yard work and I'm putting on the car hearts and I, uh, I'm wearing clothes that I used to wear and, and if I used to feel weird about that, but now I'm like, man, I'm just going to be like super chunky lesbian over here doing yard work and, <laughs> uh, and owning that. That's the vibe. <laughs> I know. I've even got like the Carhartt hat. Like I don't like hats. I don't like anything on my no. head. It, it, like, oh. it, it's, it's so true. bad. It's a sensory nightmare for just, you. Just even, even wearing masks. I'm, I know this is so bad about COVID, but like wearing masks in public i can only do it i can only tolerate it for so long otherwise mm -hmm. like i will like melt down i do i i do get into meltdown situations mm -hmm. if i wear a mask too long and i'm like i can't i can't i just can't i just can't do it yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah no, for I, sure and just, so then and, she comes just, home she doesn't just give up and stop wearing a mask she comes home yeah. instead <laughs> i'm like i can't i just can't i i have to like go somewhere where I can take this off and I'm like overstimulated. I get super overstimulated sometimes mm, I'm yeah, overloaded yeah, yeah. and I'm just like, Nope. Yeah. No, the, the sensory overload. That's, I mean, that's a classic um, autism symptom. I mean, oh, that's yeah. something that I, something I deal with as well, because I, I, I also get uh, sensory overload situations. Um, I mean, slightly differently, yeah. but, uh, but yeah. Um, I did want to circle back to something else you were saying about how, about masking, about how um, you kind of present different facets of yourself. And this is, I mean, I still struggle with my own authenticity, not so much with the, with the gender stuff. Cause I mean, I'm, you know, I'm out and I'm trans and I'm whatever, that's who I am. If you have a problem with it, that's your problem. But, um, but kind of the autistic part of it, um, where kind of I've had to learn how to, the you know the quote 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 unquote right way to behave in society and like kind of pass myself off as a neurotypical person and no I mean no one told me to do that that's just something that's you know I just intrinsically learned how to do just by observing other people's behavior and mimicking it um, and I don't like to this day I I don't understand why people do things that they, they do or they say the things that they do because I I just have a really hard time understanding other people but um as an autistic person yourself, having that authentic ex experience where you stop doing that and you don't behave in ways that society kind of expects you to behave or um, that is, I think that's really important to hear. And um, I know that's something I very much struggle with. And I hope that anyone listening to this um, kind of can take something of value from, from this conversation. So um, very much so. Uh, we do have uh, we have some Star Wars chatter in the chat. Uh, Yaster, did you wanna did you wanna talk about that for a little bit? Um, yeah, I I made a joke in the Twitch chat that we're <laughs> AUT for AUT, which is autistic and trans for autistic and trans. And then Mirami says that starts sounding like a Star Wars vehicle and ATAT. And then I said, Cappy would love that joke. And then Miranda put in uh, her trans rebel Star Wars. Uh, emojis <laughs> and then Ray made a joke about AT for AT coming to destroy the turf star <laughs> <laughs> so 
so that was all glorious. And also, um, Kathy, what is the, this is a twofold question. What is the first character in media you ever related to? You, you saw the character and you thought, oh, that's me. And um, also, why do trans people like Star Wars and Star Trek so much? Why? We love it. Why do we love it? We love it. The first character I really related to, like I was watching, you know, I, I was sort of my first fandom, I suppose, was Star Wars. Um, it came, Star Wars came out around the time I was born. Um, you know, start with the first Star Wars. I didn't see the first Star Wars in the theater. I'm not that old. Uh, and, um, but I did see it on Laserdisc. <laughs> if anyone knows what that is. Oh, I uh, remember Laserdiscs, all right. That yeah, was a yeah. that existed. <laughs> totally. So we would, yeah, I, I was living in the middle of the desert. And uh, we ha had like one television channel that would come over the air. And so my meet my family were like media starved and they would just drive, they would drive the 30 miles to town, go to the video rental store. The video rental store was located in the industrial district next to the grain manufacturing plants or whatever. They it wasn't even in downtown. It was like some warehouse in just a weird, interesting part of town, right? We would rent a Laserdisc player, and then we would rent the Laserdiscs to play in it. Uh, and so we would rent Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and those movies, right? Uh, Return of the Jedi hadn't come out yet. Um, and then, um, you know, I'd go home and watch them. And my family liked to watch movies more than once, and they didn't want to drive 30 miles to town every time they wanted to watch it. So they learned how to dub the movies from the warning, FBI warning, right? Uh, they learned how to dub the movies from the Laserdisc player onto video cassette with the Ooh. VCR that they bought from Sears. The early days um, of movie piracy. <laughs> movie piracy. <laughs> so we would scrape a movie off of the off of the uh laser disc and onto videotapes and i would watch star wars and empire strikes back on repeat for years uh and i was watching those and i'm like where do i see myself in this film it wasn't luke and it wasn't really leia but i could relate to r2d2 hmm in fact i've got an r2d2 that i'd like to show everybody Oh, let's do it after let's do it after the yeah, break let's do it after we're the racing break. Our ad break all right let's racing do it after the ad break. ad break um yeah so so come back after the ad break to see some cool r2d2s and hear the boat story but first miranda has one more question for you yes um so this kind of is going back to the whole uh idea of you know masking and presenting different versions of yourself throughout your life and as trans people we kind of experience all stages of our life simultaneously where we exist as different people. Uh, in fact, a friend of a friend of mine has a very good video about this topic, which I would, I could talk about it for hours, but we're, I'm not, well, I'm trying to stay on topic here. <laughs> but um, how would you say you merge together all the different experiences of your former selves uh, with your current self? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, um, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Like, uh, in a way, this is how I, I, I explain 
I explain it. It's um, my former self uh, wanted me to exist. I call that former self my brother. And he's dead now. He got uh, shipped to the underground. And it was a big ritual that I did. It was sort of a, uh, a, uh, an intentional act of um, releasing him of his duties. He did his job. He made me survive as long as I survived. Um, and wanted me to exist because he knew that uh, his time was short. And he knew that I needed to be out. So uh, he let that happen and sort of like, uh, you know, he, his, he's gone, but the memories stayed and I had to figure out how to incorporate that. Mm -hmm. There were things that I learned that um, are very useful for me right now that I learned from him. Mm-hmm. And I had to, uh, I couldn't just wholesale say everything that I learned, everything that I was, I'm, I'm throwing it away. It's not worth anything to me. I can't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that I want to keep. There's, uh, and, and I had to figure out how to roll that in. That means like, sort of coming to terms with owning my masculinity as I am now. And it's still kind of a struggle, actually. I haven't really... um, It's sort of like one of those things I still kind of want to make sure that I my femininity doesn't get lost. Yeah. Uh, I kind of ride the line. I consider myself kind of a butch or futch, a femme butch. It's like right in, I'm just, I'm not femme enough to be a femme and I'm not butch enough to be a butch. I am kind mm-hmm. of like right on the line. And mm-hmm. um, depending on the day, it could go, you know, one way or the other. But uh, attitude-wise and, you know, and the way I come across to people, and this is one of the things I had to learn how to own, is my, uh, my assertiveness. I learned assertiveness mm-hmm. um, and confidence. And a woman with confidence and assertiveness comes, out, comes off as very, you know, to others, comes off as very masculine. And so... I think that, um, and it's such a big part of my personality that some people will just sur- will, will kind of like sur me because they see that um, I've got a confidence and an assertiveness that not a lot of women have. And it's the energy I throw off and it throws them off like, oh, you must be a dude. Mm. Like, how can you be a woman and have, be, and have this assertiveness? Uh, yeah, it's I, weird. I know, I know exactly what you mean. I think that has less to do with being trans and more to do with how men are treated in society versus how women are treated in society. 
whereas it's expected from men to be, you know, assertive and confident, and it's expected from women to not be those things. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, it's. I, I feel like it's a it's an aspect that I don't want to give up. Mm -hmm. Um, it's served me too well. Yeah, and I I very much relate to to that. Uh, I mean, we're we're both trans women that you know transition later in life where we had a whole life lived you know as the gender we were assigned at birth and i i mean you can't just throw away those decades of, of life right i mean yeah it's different when you're you know transitioning at the age of 12 or transitioning as a teenager uh versus transitioning as someone who's lived a whole life and um i've always seen that um i've always kind of seen myself as dying and re being reborn several times over the course of my life as I go through different stages of my life and you know um and this is just kind of the la the latest stage of that and this version of me just happens to be a different gender than the old versions of me that have lived and died um that's that's yeah. always how I've, I've how I've looked at it um and it's not always a gender thing it's you know but it's not my story. This is your story. <laughs> uh, I've, I've yeah. experienced ego death too. Yeah. 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 So um it's very, very relatable. And I think that's um there's a lot of um elder trans stories that need to be told. Because um this is a lot of uh, a lot of what's being a lot of the stories that are being told right now are from young people, which is great. Uh, but you know, we need to tell our stories too. Uh, so yeah. uh, we are coming up on our final ad break of this stream. Uh, so uh, did you, Master, did you have any closing thoughts before we uh, take off for a little bit? Um, I wanted to add that Kira's Grow said in the chat for added Star Wars trans vibes, I describe my style as Sith Butch. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> I wanted to get to the um, second part of your question meowster if we had time before the ad yeah we have three minutes okay the second part was uh why do you so many trans folks love star wars and star trek so much um well uh that's an interesting one i like star trek nowadays as my sort of go-to fandom um it's very hopeful there's a lot of hope in it mm. um it's uh it's assuming as a premise that humans figured it out humans figured it out and we are all on the same page and now that we're all on the same page and being humans with each other and awesome let's go into space and be awesome with everyone else and the values that come with that and how people are treated uh it feels really good to me it feels like i that's a world i want to live in Star Wars, uh, I think I've outgrown it, honestly. Um, it was great when I was a kid because it was really kind of the only thing that I knew. And there was a lot of toys that I could play with and pretend and play dolls, essentially. I played with dolls and they were Star Wars toys. Uh, yeah, I still have my Princess Leia's little action figures from 1981 something mm, those um, are probably pretty petty now <laughs> they probably are yeah uh 
but like Star Trek is hopeful and it fights against fascism. And uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Uh, and, um, you know, Star Wars 2, I think with Andor, they're really mm. getting into the fight against fascism thing for Star Wars. Like, 100%, that's yeah. the kind of stuff I'm into is the the rebellion you know getting nitty getting into the the rebellion not so much the force and all of that it's magical to me and i magic but like fighting against fascism such a such an important thing we need to all do especially in today's uh, keep yeah. our eye on that and if there's any any history lesson to pay attention to it's world war ii in the european theater uh and what went on there yeah and getting to the real truth of what went on there mm -hmm. um because it's it's repeating itself and i don't want it repeated and there's lessons to be learned that we can apply in modern day to prevent it mm -hmm. um i'll just add that our friend Jesse Gender has a great video about Andor, which is a Star Wars movie. It's a TV series that addresses yes. fascism. Go watch Andor, then watch Jesse's video about it, and come back in yeah. three minutes after our break. Yeah, <laughs> if there's an endorsement to make, it is watch everything Jesse Gender has ever yeah. made. We stand, Jesse. Jesse. Jeez. <laughs> yes, I hope you're listening to this, Jesse. I love you. <laughs> Here's our Juditu. Aww, it's so cute. It's so trans. Tell us about this feller. I love it. So this R2D2 was, lo was lovingly made by Emily of the Transverse as a commissioned mm. piece uh, that, you know, I think she paints them themselves, right? Like, yeah, buys she does the R2D2. It. She does it on stream sometimes even. Yeah, on stream. So mm -hmm. I have one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, apparently, if you take this to like Disneyland and you go to the right area, it'll like interact Bluetooth wise oh, with cool. like the things around it. And it's like cool that way, but I've never done that. So mm -hmm. I'll have to try that at some point. Yeah, um, no, Emily's Emily was very cool. And everyone should go follow the the transverse. Uh, yeah, she showed me her R2-D2 or her Astromech. I don't know if it's not, maybe it's not R2-D2. It's a different Astromech. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, when I was on the show, she, uh, she, she showed me that. So yeah, everyone go, go follow transfers. You can all, and then, also um, more specifically follow the shop on Etsy. It's called Droid Outpost. Um, okay. I don't know if, I don't know if commissions are open right now, but there's some pictures of past droids and it's just a total delight. They're so fun. Cool. Um, I do have another R2D2 as well. Ooh. And it is uh it's the Lego one. Ah. It's a big, big old thing. So um, yeah, I like R2D2. It's the one, it's the character in, in Star Wars that I relate to the most. And as a kid, um as a kid, I uh I thought I was a robot. Like I felt like mm. my thoughts and the way that I presented myself, I felt so out of place from humans 
that I actually thought I was a robot internally. Like if you would have x-rayed my bones, you'd find metal bones. Mm. I don't know how I was born, but I'm a robot. And um, I kind of just like related to that a lot, actually. Yeah. It's extremely relatable because for the longest time, I thought I was an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Deep like I legit, I legit had a recurring fantasy where like aliens would like land on Earth and they would like beam into me my my true memories and they would take me home to my real parents on on another planet. Yeah. Uh, now I'd fantasize like oh when the aliens come I'm totally going with them I'm just like hanging out. Oh yeah. Like, hey, I'm to this yeah. day I'm still like get me off this planet. <laughs> we have an additional content warning for this section regarding dangerous ocean situations everybody lives but it is scary um now you have a special story that you like to tell i have heard uh, a shortened version of this story and it is absolutely wild can you please for our audience tell us the boat story (laughs) oh wow the boat story all right well this is true all of it is true uh okay so i got this job doing seafloor mapping um and i got the job because i was out of a job in fact it was living in that apartment in bellingham that uh i um it was uh like i put on the skirt and i am like wearing it around the place uh Shortly after that happened, the dot com crash happened. Right, this was uh, when was this two thousand one? So it was around February through April of two thousand one. I was out of a job, um, because the dot com crash happened. Like I was working for a startup, and it just one day got a pink slip. Everyone is laid off. The whole company, gone. I didn't know what to do. I had a resume in my hand, and I went to Seattle, and I'm, like, going around and um, trying to get a job, and uh, no one would uh, hire me. (laughs) because there was 10,000 other engineers lined around the block with resumes in their hand, like a stack, like they printed like 50 resumes going in and trying to get, you know, a hundred jobs that were offered that day. And so I went to a, uh, a, an agency that would place me into a job and said, you know, give me, get me any job that I'm qualified for. So this uh, this survey company, this boat survey company, reached out to me. It's like, uh, we want a systems administrator to go out on these boats and set up equipment and run the network uh, while we're doing a survey. And, uh, you know, uh, when the when survey's done, you box all the equipment back up and ship it home and then we fly you back home and the perk of this job is uh you get to go anywhere in the world that we are doing surveys 
and that could be anywhere. So get your get your passport and um you know I was single at the time. I'm like, well, this is adventure. So I took the job as a system administrator. Um and the first the first job I did was going from Singapore to Perth, Australia on a boat. Um this isn't the boat sinking part. That's second that's my second tour. But the first one, I, I basically learned how to be on a boat and do my job and live there for two months on the water on the ocean. Um and I didn't get seasick and it was all great. And I got to see like all these countries I never got to see before. And it was like super great. Cool. Like I learned a lot about the world. I, I, uh, I learned things I have, I would have never learned had I not taken it. Uh, so the second time they wanted to send me out, they, uh, I landed in Mumbai, India. And there was a boat already there that uh, had come into port, and it um it had experienced some some issues like running into someone's fishing net or something, and they had to like bring it into dry dock and cut the fishing nets off of it. This boat was called the MV Ocean Voyager, and it's this boat is significant because uh, it was involved in the first time someone had gone and tried to find the Titanic. In fact, there was a National Geographic special um, that was created uh, where it involved that boat and another one with, uh, and then these boats had like um, ROV robot units on them. They uh, found the Titanic. They found exactly where it was at the bottom. They had these big lights that uh, they lowered into the water and dropped it all the way down to the Titanic's uh, like deck and put these lights on and turned them on so that we could all see like what it looked like under there because it's pitch black. It's like super deep down there in the North Atlantic. So the Ocean Voyager, the, this boat, was involved in all of this. And it had like a, a room full of computers, you know, and the special had like this computer room and a deck and all of its equipment on it. And um, now here it is. It's in Mumbai, India. It's been, you know, repurposed and rebought and sold. And now it is our vessel that we are going to use to do a underwater cable survey or a pipeline survey or something like that. I think it was a pipeline at this point between Iran and India. And yeah, it's it was an American company working for the Italians who was working for the British and blah, blah, blah. We were kind of like um, uh, sort of separated by many orders of magnitude. But uh, I don't think we were technically supposed to be there as Americans. <laughs> but we were. Um, it, and and the company, you know, the the survey company is actually based out of like um, Netherlands or something like that. So you know, they probably had some sort of a cover. Anyway, um, so I went to Mumbai, India. This is the first time I've ever been to India, and uh, got to experience India, and it's basically exactly like uh, Slumdog Millionaire. If you've never seen that movie, um. 
it is just as uh as rich and tragic as one would imagine of seeing how people lived every day and and the the place where the boats were docked were right were right next to not the rich part of town it was where all the houseless people lived in makeshift buildings made out of essentially junk and that was their life that was their thing um and i spent two weeks in india because we were waiting on permits to go out and survey because we needed to get them from the indian government and eventually we just had to get them somehow um and uh once we obtained those permits uh we set out and uh you know from mumbai and went out to go survey and we we surveyed you know with our with our boat and another one called the the micklin searcher so it's ocean voyager and micklin searcher two boats we needed two boats to be able to go do the survey because uh, the water was so deep um and we had a special kind of cable on board and the cable was fiber it was this uh like a stainless steel wrapped fiber optic cable that was 10 kilometers long on a on a giant like winch spool on the back um and attached to that cable is this device called a tow fish and it looks it's a custom made fiberglass um capsule if you remember star trek Two, you know the torpedo tube <laughs> just imagine mm -hmm. that torpedo tube kind of like a little bit deeper like kind of thicker this way but kind of the same and and uh that cable at, attaches to that we uh and slow it into the water and it's neutrally buoyant and um the boat as it drags that thing behind it on the cable it can go down to the bottom of the ocean and it could go down to the bottom of the ocean and it can um uh fly above the uh bottom of the ocean at whatever depth we want it to so this is this is how we can get fine resolution at at a very deep um at a very deep part of the ocean right uh, the boats have on them what's called a USBL transponder, and it's at the end of a pole uh, that is down into the water. So it's like this device that is, uh, you know, with a cord that runs up this pole. Both boats have them, and they put their transponders in it. From those transponders, it can ping down to the towfish, and the towfish will record, you know, where those pings came from and how what the signal strength was. And then that signal gets fed back up the fiber optic. And using like differential GPS and um, like like all sorts of weird cool things, we can know exactly where that towfish is at the bottom of the ocean, so that we can make a proper map of it. Um, and all of this is important, like foreshadowing. And <laughs> um, so we these two boats, you know, we're we're going out and we're surveying the bottom, and it's really deep down there. Um, the first crisis that hit was in the middle of the night. Um, 
uh, we are winching in and out the tow fish, and, and somehow the, the winch malfunctioned and snapped the cable in half. But luckily for us, we still had a hold of the other end so that the tow fish didn't like get lost or anything. Um, but it did mean that we had to take the cable that was uh, uh, on the winch and spool it into the boat by hand. And uh, <laughs> so I was, I, was, uh, I was told, hey, go help people spool this cable in um, to the boat by hand. Uh, okay, it's five kilometers of cable. So we spooled that by hand into the middle of the boat and into the winch. We uh, grabbed the other end of the cable that was held, hooked it back up to the winch, pulled the tow fish in out of the water, and then had to spool that five kilometers of cable into the boat. So now the boat has 10 kilometers of broken cable spooled into itself. Um, we had to go to port to go get another cable that was whole because we can't fix that. Um, so we uh, went into Muscat, Oman, uh, the port of us, Muscat, Oman, so in the Middle East. Um, and uh, so we were in port and to, to go into port, we have to that pole with the transponder, we have to winch that up into the boat. And that is, uh, there's a pole that runs through the engine room. So someone went into the engine room and yanked the pole up, right, with a with a chain. So it's, it's, it's raised. We go into port. We get another 10-kilometer fiber optic cable flown in from the United States overnight. So that must have cost a pretty penny. Hmm. Um we get that cable reinstalled back on the boat onto the winch. And, um, you know, while that's happening, I get to experience the Middle East and it's really hot. It's like 125 degrees outside, hot. And I was not trans at the time. I was a white, I was a white boy, a very large white boy. Like I was uh, a lot taller and a lot bigger than everyone there. And uh, I kind of go with the assumption of like, I'm in the Middle East and um, I'm such a fish out of water. I am not going to do anything to make anyone mad or think that I'm like some bad American person. I did my best to be like very respectful for everyone there. And I didn't really know how to handle myself in the Middle East. And I'm like, I just don't want to like cause an international incident <laughs> here. So like I, and I didn't, you know, that was all fine. Mostly what happened is that I mostly got heat, <laughs> sort of heat exhaustion from being outside too much. Um, and so I'm glad we, we got the cable installed. We went out back to the point where the cable broke so that we can continue our survey. And this is where everything gets really interesting. Um, so that pole that we had to raise uh, to go into port. Well, we had to lower it again. Uh, it wouldn't lower on its own, uh, apparently. So to get it unstuck, somebody went with a sledgehammer into the uh, engine room and started to pound on the top of it to try to get it un un unwedged. But there was slack in the chain they didn't like pull the chain tight and then try to whack on it. You know, they wanted it to kind of like loosen. Right. Well, they, they, 
smacked the top of it a bunch. Um, and it got unwedged, but the pull is so heavy that it just like I'm wedged at such a at such a rate that when it started to go down, the chain didn't have enough strength and it snapped. That pole then went straight through the boat. It left a 12 inch hole uh, in bottom of the boat, and then water started to come in through the bottom of the boat. Um, while this was happening. I was uh, sitting at my computer uh, doing what I do, my day job, of making sure all the computer systems were running and functioning correctly. And then I hear the abandoned ship whistle. And I'm like, uh, that's not good. <laughs> uh, so I go to the muster point that everyone's supposed to go to on the, on the boat. Because we were all, you know, when you get on this boat, the first thing they teach you is like, if you hear this, you come here. You stop what you're doing and you come here. And the captain was there and everyone was there. And the captain's like, y'all are getting off this boat and you're going over to that one. And you're getting in this, uh, uh, this motorboat that we have. Like we lower this motorboat. That's part of the boat, you know, part of the ship. You lower this motorboat and you're going to go two by two into this motorboat. And you're gonna, we're gonna ship you over to this Micklin searcher boat, and where everyone's getting off this boat because we're abandoning ship because there is a leak in the engine room that we can't fix. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I, what I had on me is what I, what I had. I couldn't go back. Like I couldn't say like, oh, but let me go get my stuff. No, it's just like you're getting off this boat right now, and you, you know, and with the captain saying that, it's like, all right, yes, sir, we're doing that. I had my watch on, I had a camera in my pocket, and my clothes that I was wearing, and nothing else. And the captain had my passport because that's what captains do; they have your passport. Um, so I uh, got on the other boat, and then I learned all the details about what happened with the engine room. And what happened was that there's a big hole that got created. Uh, there's a plate that's supposed to slide over. Um, that's supposed to, on the porthole, there's like this plate that you can like crank and then like slides over. Well, that got frozen in place by rust and it never got tested to make sure that it could actually do that. Uh, so that didn't work. The next step was to close the door uh, to the engine room and seal it. And hopefully the, um, the, you know, the pressure of the door and that would make it stop sinking enough. Well, there was, you know, over the years, there was enough holes punched through the firewall of the engine room where sealing the door didn't actually seal anything. Uh, then there was the attempt of taking a tarp and putting it over the front of the boat and kind of working it under to see if the tarp could like cover the hole so that the, you know, and then the tarp would kind of like plug the hole. That didn't work. Uh, then we didn't, we, you know, at, at all of this going on, there was like SOS, you know, please, you know, over the radio, SOS, SOS. The Americans were in, were, were in the area with the USS Seattle a supply ship. 
and and they had like a couple Chinook, you know, like a Chinook helicopter that they launched off that boat. And um, uh, the Chinook helicopter tried to lower pumps into our boat and try to pump the water out, you know, like three different pumps and and like basically none of them worked. Uh, so they abandoned that plan, and then they told the captain, uh, yeah, this boat's sinking, and uh, you can't do anything about it, so uh, get off this boat, go to the other one, stay a half kilometer away, and watch it sink. Uh, so it's at, it's at, that's at this point that um, uh, our, you know, there was like some items that were you know, some people went try to go back over there before, you know, it was too late before the th whole thing sank. They tried to pull whatever they could off of the boat. Um, the tow fish that were, were that was there, they they just basically cut the straps off, um, you know, that was holding them to the deck. They're neutrally buoyant. So when that boat sinks, they're just going to, you know, stay floating. Um, all the computer equipment's going to sink. Everything that my job was about, everything that was in my cabin was going to sink. Um, and uh, someone managed to save a picture out of the galley of the Titanic and brought that over to the Micklin searcher, because that's important, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we spent five hours watching this boat sink. And I had a camera in my pocket, so I took pictures of it sinking. Um, and whenever it kind of got interesting, I just took another photo. And I have like a whole, like, I still have them. I have like 40 photos of this boat in every stage of it sinking. Um, and one of those photos actually ended up on in the Omani Observer, you know, article in the local Oman newspaper about this boat sinking. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I was like photographer of the day, apparently. <laughs> uh, and we just watched his boat sink. And like in the middle of the night, this, uh, the, the crew, you know, some of our American crew members, uh, found the picture of the Titanic and chucked it overboard <laughs> as a, like a bad omen to have this picture of the Titanic rescued from a sinking boat on our boat that could also sink in shark-infested water, like, they weren't taking a chance. Like, nope, this thing's drowning with a boat. And so they chucked it right overboard. <laughs> um, so we went back to Oman uh, on the Micklin Searcher, uh, sunburnt and with dirty clothes. And I had to go to a department store and find the largest clothes they sell and wear that. Uh, because uh, I was a big person. And uh, uh, the captain had our passport, and I called, you know, I tried to get on sat phone and tried to call home, like, hey, parent, dad, mom, whomever, whomever, I'm, I'm coming home early because my boat sank. Uh, that was the same night my mom left my father um so happens so whenever i called home on the sat phone i got mom your mom left me she took a gun and 
just my dad freaking out that my mom's gone. And I'm like, okay, well, I my boat sank, so please come get me at the airport, right? Come, come get me. I'm home early. And I basically just sat there on the rescue boat processing the fact that my parents just broke out and my boat sank in the ocean. And wow, that's something. Is a very um it was a moment where I'm just like, well, I guess I'm a grown-up now. <laughs> like is multi-levels of f numbness, let's just say. Your dad did eventually get his gun back after yeah. your mom successfully moved out and everyone yeah. wasn't angry and emotionally agitated anymore. Right. Um did have you ever been on a boat since that happened? Would you go on a boat again? Oh yeah. Yeah. I have no fear. Of course. <laughs> I don't have what, a are fear? Odds, what are no. the odds that, I... that two boats that you're on sink? <laughs> yeah, what are the odds? In fact, they would they, they would joke around at that at my work, you know, before I even got onto this like tour, they would joke like, eh, no boats ever sank. <laughs> When's that ever happen? <laughs> <laughs> It just so happens on my, so you know, going out, it did. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've been to the Middle East. Probably, probably the only time in my life I'm going to ever be able to go. I mean, seriously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're referring to as a Middle Eastern person myself. It's, uh, there's certain parts of the world that uh, are not safe for me to go to. Because of who I am, yeah. uh, that is unfortunate. But uh, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. It's absolutely wild. I, uh, I, I, I got a very abridged version of that story before. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, the twenty-five minute version. Yeah. <laughs> so getting to hear the the whole thing is just. I mean, I like to joke that like wild things are constantly happening to me all the time, but I I definitely cannot top that story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's quite the rite of passage to adulthood. <laughs> Weren't yeah. you around 27 when that happened? Uh, yeah, I think so. That's, that was your Saturn yeah. return, that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we have three questions left that are part of our regular okay. show ending. Um, is there anything that, that we missed today about authenticity that you want to make sure that you say? Um, I would say like, go inside, go in, into yourself. That's where you need to look. Don't worry about anyone else. Uh, look, worry about yourself. If you need to find some therapist that helps you with that, there's different techniques. But that's where the real healing starts, uh, is parent, reparenting yourself and, and, and really asking the questions and, and doing a five whys analysis. It's, that's something from a software engineering. Ask yourself why. And then from that answer, ask yourself why and keep going down and you eventually get to the root. Uh, and then from the things you've realized from those whys, 
figuring out how to mitigate or counter what you found, how to correct it. And it's usually just do work on yourself. Uh, if you've got trauma, and pretty much every trans person I've ever met has some, some, form, of, some form of it, uh, that's incumbent upon you as a person to figure yourself out. That's not everyone else's job. So, uh, and authenticity follows from that. You know, often in uh, today's discourse, uh, we unfortunately have to define ourselves by our trauma and our pain. Uh, but as I like to tell all our guests, it's far more important that we define ourselves with our joy in what makes being trans so wonderful. Uh, can you share an experience with us that you've had with gender euphoria? Yes, I've had many of them. But my favorite is when you and I were in that living room. Yes. Doing a, doing, doing, like we, we just went to Value Village and we bought a bunch of stuff and we're like, let's go try it on. And uh, <laughs> so we came home and uh, we did like a fashion show. Like I, I basically did the whole trans emptying the closet thing. Like I went through my closet and I'm like, okay, these are pieces that I think I could let go of because they're going to a good home. Uh, I let um, Miranda try on a bunch of stuff and whatever Miranda wanted to keep, she kept. Yeah. And, um, and also we, we tried on the stuff that we bought at Valley Village and we kept the things that fit and made us look flattering. And we had the whole mirror and just had a really good time with it. And it was like, wow, this is like, this is really what it, this is really where it is. This is really with a joy. Like I, I was like, ah, beaming. I had really good energy. It's so good. You had such a smile on your face that whole time. It was so wonderful to see it. And I very yeah. much appreciate it. So for the, I mean, I came home with a very full suitcase. So I've seen the piece wearing one of the wear. shirts on stream. I'm like, <laughs> and she was like, oh. Yes, yes. I mean, I didn't plan it. It just that was just the next shirt I had on the pile in the pile. So, right. <laughs> but but yeah, no, I'm I'm very grateful that I got to have that like you know trans elder experience because you know I you're the, you're you literally are my trans elder. Like, um, oh, like wow. I don't really? have I don't really have trans people in my life like in person. Like it's just it's just the two of you that I know that I get to hang yeah. out with. So, um. Yeah, that was that was a really good experience for me, uh, getting to try on all these sorts of different clothes. And uh, I mean, you went full like photo shoot mode. You're like, yeah, girl, work she it, did. work it, work it. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> so I have a bunch of pictures. I have a, a whole like Google album of all my photos from my trip to Seattle. And uh, many of those photos were from that uh, little little fashion show that we did. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was fun. Cause like, I mean, we were just, we were just changing in the living room and we're, we we're you know, kind of comfortable yeah. being in a state of somewhat undressed around each other. And, um, and, and yeah, yeah like, and I, I talk about this all the time, like the power of, of clothing and you get so much euphoria out of wearing clothes that make you happy. Um, so I yeah. think from the bottom of my heart for you know, letting me share that experience and share, I mean, you know, handing me down all your old clothes that I will be wearing into the office when I go in next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to experience that 
in a in a different way too, where I whenever I was uh, getting rid of my old masculine clothes, I found a trans man to give them all to, and mm-hmm. I got to experience how he liked wearing all of that stuff, and that was super cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you want to have you know experience joy in your heart. It's it's participating in that event in in, in an event mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's super cool. Mm-hmm. It was even better than makeup to me. Oh. <laughs> well, I have one final question for us today. Um, Cappy, what would you like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary trans or gender diverse issues? You had your little soapbox and you got to say one thing. What would you want to make sure that you share with folks? Uh, you know who you are. Um, you know yourself better than anyone does. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Uh, they, you got to ask yourself the question, why are they saying this to me? Um, you'll usually find the answer to be it's because of something that they're going through and it has nothing to do with you at all which frees you to be authentic and living your best life as a human being it doesn't you didn't even have to you know you don't have to be trans every day you can just be a human being doing what human beings do like ever like everybody's supposed to feel like you're supposed to embody the embody yourself you've only got this experience you've got this one life live it uh don't let fear win and don't let fascism bring you down fight back against it it's worth it and um gather people close to you that uh, make you feel good. The others need to uh, work on themselves before they can enter that circle. And if you want more n- nuggets of information, wisdoms, join the Discord. Ask me DMs <laughs> or ping her name all in, day. A, in a in a community channel. She does better with reading it if you actually tag her directly. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to tag me or I'll never see it. I've got so many other things out like that. Uh, yeah. She's busy with, um, you know, having a day job and parenting and yeah. having analog time and whatever. Analog time's important to me. Yeah. I'm I'm Gen, I'm Gen X, like, I need mm-hmm. analog time. You need to just, like, hold the cat and look at a book for a while. Sit on the deck, you know. Drink. Leah's got to cuddle someone, and you're her favorite person in the whole world. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Cleopatra yeah. is our youngest cat. For those who don't know, Cleopatra is like sitting yeah. right here on the bed. I know. She's I miss my little right Cleo. Um, oh, she's so Cleo cute. and I bonded. <laughs> she was all over me. I don't know. <laughs> we recently so, had an um, emote of Cleo made for our most recent. Um, fundraising event on gender federation and it's the wiggle emote 
it's Cleo wiggling her butt at everyone because she's a little hecker, gets into mischief constantly and jumps <laughs> on things. That's her preparing to jump and get into stuff. Um, well, Chad is sharing all the love, races. This has been wonderful, lovely to see you. Um, I know there are people in the UK who are staying up to catch the end of this stream, even though it's a work night. So um, folks, Trans Capybara, also known as Cappy for short, is my actual real life wife. Uh, she's not only a lovely woman, but also a software engineer, a parent, and all-around fantastic person. You can find her occasionally joining in on streaming shenanigans or handing me food from off-camera. Um, you can also connect with her in uh, Meowster's Cloud or Discord server. That's discord.gg forward slash Meowster. There is a an airlock that you will go through when you join the server. You just have to open a ticket and answer three questions. Um, that's so that the low-effort trolls uh don't get in <laughs> yeah it's like oh i have to try to troll nah i'll move on um it's just one of the ways we keep our community safe so um yeah if you if you mention that you heard about it on the show i mean by now you're almost three hours in probably to this episode so um if you heard about it on the show you can say that and that will probably get you in faster <laughs> than, uh, than um yeah uh would you like to share about next week's clatter query or this week's query Miranda? so here's this week's clatter query that you or audience can answer on our social media platforms go ahead kathy am i supposed to be doing here yeah yeah <laughs> you're the one who wrote the query so you get to ask your question this is the question you want oh. everyone else to answer on socials oh i see okay um uh what steps have you taken to become a more authentic person. Love um, it. So folks, our next guest um, is going to be two weeks from the live recording because we have our, every fourth Monday we take off to catch up on editing or schedule, reschedule a guest if something goes wrong one of the weeks. Um, so in two weeks from now in the live recording, we'll be having Larissa Frost on and we're going to be discussing plurality and creativity, which is very exciting. So if you, um, there's a couple of wonderful community members that joined from a plurality stream um, many moons ago. Um, so if you want to learn more about plurality or be in the chat with other plural folks, um, it would be a great episode to catch. Um, and as far as community updates, if, if we did it right, by the time this is published, the edited version, it should be the new intro and the new outro. That's me and Miranda talking instead of me and Alice talking. So. Um, I hope you enjoy the new intro and outro. The live the live stream, it's still the old one because we're still editing it while it's live, but um, I hope you all are enjoying the new things. Um, now that we've hit episode 100, I think we're going to stop counting because it's really hard. <laughs> it causes chaos in the back end and we have to reschedule someone because, you know, life happens and then we have to go fix the numbers on everything everywhere and update graphics and it's a nightmare. So we're going to stop counting now that we hit 100. Um, you can count in your hearts if you want. Um, yeah, uh, Miranda, would you like to thank our Patreon supporters this this week? Absolutely. So Jennifer would like to thank all of our supporters on Patreon. We have Holly Blash, Winter Vespers, Loch Ness Gamer, Justin Baker Rojas, Sandra Mickelborg, Yasio, Ray of Swords, Sherry Keller, Mirami, The Hessian, and of course, Trans Capybara. So helpful, so supportive. Well, everyone, 
as we like to say, trans rights are human rights. That's right. Rams. Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays on twitch.tv forward slash Jennermeowster. Show notes will appear in the edited versions of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms. If you have a question you'd like the host to answer or are gender diverse and would like to request an interview, please send an email to genderfulpodcast at gmail.com or sign up via the website at genderfulpodcast.com. As a gender diverse community, the Clouder wants to assure our listeners that we are prepared to moderate our spaces. We will get positive and negative feedback on these shows and topics. And we have a moderation team on our channels, socials, and Discord server ready to deal with this. Please join our Discord server at discord.gg forward slash meowster to meet the community and get a regular digest of solidarity resources. You can also support us with subscriptions on Patreon, following and reviewing us on your favorite podcasting platform, or engaging with our posts and content on social media at genderfulpod and at gendermeowster. You can take a few minutes to rate the show. We will post any five-star reviews on our socials, so get creative. Mention a special interest of your own, a project you're working on, or even say hi to your comfort person in your review. What power? This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to the folks helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials. Here's our artist credit. Jennerful is hosted by Miranda Katita and Jennermeowster. Jennerful's pre-show is wrangled by Juice Tex. Jennerful's live stream is produced by Mirami. Jennerful is edited and mixed by Trans Griffin and Free Range Megs. Jennerful's promos and thumbnail graphic are designed by Trans Griffin. Jennerful's social media is managed by Keenzy. Jennerful's theme song is called Hope by Free Range Megs, also known as Soma. The current Gender Master logo was designed by Sitopia. Jennerful is the intellectual property of Gender Master, all rights reserved. Trans, Trans rights, rights are human rights. rights. That's right. right.